Ragu, oh my God, chill. Crazy track. That's Kamali once again. Priya Ragu coming off her debut mixtape. Damn, she's Tamil. Damn, dropping on September third. Voice though, you know. She's she's. She got a voice because she's a vocalist. Oh she's also God. a songwriter and a producer. Yeah, she's killing the game, man. Yo, she's a repeat offender on the After Hours show. Yeah. Priya Ragu, if you don't know, has a very extensive resume. 100%. She was one of her tracks was featured on FIFA. Yeah, and then now she's and recently actually Priya Ragu actually very very recently a couple of weeks ago maybe she announced on her Instagram that she's full time music now. Left yeah. her job. Oh really? Yeah. Going full time. Yo, shout out to the Tamil creators out in here. More success. You know? more, more success. Yeah. More power, man. This, the the video for the song is actually crazy. It has a, a lot more. Deep meaning. So it's actually uh, inspired by a short film by uh, a director by the name of Sasha Rainbow, who also directed this music video as well. Okay, um, and it actually explores the story of uh, a woman by the name of Sugandhi, uh, a single mother who is living in a small village in India, raising her daughter Kamali. Okay, so of course the song Kamali, named after the the daughter Kamali, um, was written to inspire young women. Uh, of course, against the stereotypes in society right now uh, and the the suppression from the roles of men in society, uh, and of course, you know, uh, rise above and yeah. uh, and and think bigger and to do bigger. So shout out to Priya Ragu for that track once again. Gee, shout out to Priya Ragu. F the patriarchy. Let's get it. <laughs> <laughs> that being said, we are now in stage three in Ontario. Indoor dining, you ready for that? Indoor dining, Woo! gyms are open. <laughs> Don't get too excited, folks. Yeah. <laughs> Restaurants open. And not to be a pessimist, you know? I'm just being a realist. Yo, yes, seriously. Yeah. I, I just can't wait for the movies, man. I, I've been going to the drive-in. I got bit up by bear mosquitoes. Yo, this really, is yeah? stupid, Oh, you've been going to the drive-in, eh? Yeah, I'm trying to Prodigy go to Cineplex, here, eh? get the popcorn, <laughs> it's a get a drink, thing. kick up the feet, okay. and just chill. I don't know. I, I you know what I mean? I can do without movies for a little while. Seriously? What do you I, mean, I, bro? I've been waiting for movies. I'm just happy that this all happened after Fast 9 came out because I heard it was Garbage. Screw fast nine. Yo, I, I, I fell off fast. The fast series <laughs> yeah. after like number five. Or five, yeah, five. You know, maybe six. We'll get to the <laughs> yeah, Yo, yeah. apparently they went to space in this one. Yo, I didn't even want to hear, bro. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't, don't want to hear. Know. I don't Speaking of space, it, Richard Branson went to space and came back. You know, yes, the billionaire space race. Virgin Galactic. A lot of people are divided. You know, no one. Everyone is like, you know, are we are we really talking about billionaires trying to reach space when there's so much problems on Earth? You know, and mm. these guys who have too much money to spend are just trying to beat each other to get to space. Yes, you know, that's yeah. really what it is. I mean. I mean, it's pretty crazy what Virgin Galactic is doing. They're actually—they're uh, not even space travel. They're more like uh, air travel through space, in a sense. It's tra- it's space tourism, it, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. it's it's essentially taking a flight from one part of the world to the other, but shortened because obviously you're flying through a higher altitude. So, so it's still interesting a flex, play. Though. It's a flex. It's a flex. It's though. a flex. <laughs> it's definitely a big flex. I mean, I, you already know you ain't getting no red flag deals on those tickets. <laughs> I went sure. to space and you'll, all I got was this, this t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, ladies and gentlemen, it's the After Hours Show live at East FM 102.7. We are back. It's yes, your sir. boy, Prodigy. It's, a cipher. it's your boy, Matt. 
Well, ladies and gentlemen, what is going on, man? We got another show for y'all this week. Facts. And when we say we're back, this time we mean we're back. Yeah. It's been a minute since we've been in the studio. Yeah, yeah. It's a little bit of a. We're, back, a little, we're back and vaxxed. You know we're what I'm saying? We're back and vaxxed. <laughs> yes. Vaxed. Double dosed, you know? I'm That's getting that tatted. No, you got that. <laughs> I got a cocktail dose, though. I don't know about you guys. I got oh. the Pfizer. I got the Moderna the second nice, time. Oh, so you're wavy. I was right out of commission. Like some sour whiskey. I was out of commission for a couple days, you know? I don't know what happened. That I was going to go upstairs still <laughs> early you know that's how bad it was but Jeez. i'm here i'm surviving that's less almost thriving there we know? go man and it's another show another week we got another guest for y'all this week we got mm-hmm. a very special guest by the name of ravi ravindra an actual friend of the show fellow podcaster himself as well so without further ado we're gonna go ahead and jump straight into this interview yo ravi how's it going bro good good how are you guys doing we're doing, doing good, good we're good, doing good good we haven't heard you in a long time bro this is uh this is a must anticipated ant- interview we've been wanting to bring you on the air so we're glad to finally have you this guy is a man of many talents uh he's uh, up to a lot of things so why don't you tell us yourself uh who are you for the people who are listening and don't know who you are and what are you up to yeah uh great question you know being asked who you are a lot of people come in with a lot of hooks but the the way i kind of describe myself is i'm a, I'm a social entrepreneur uh, I've started like three companies in the past, currently my fourth company. And all the times I'm looking at how can we uh, build companies around social causes and, and, and do good for the world. Awesome, man. Of course. And uh, that being good. said, you know, you've uh, always doing good. You've uh, you've had a long journey uh, to get where you are right now and uh, to be doing the things that you're doing. So why don't we start at the beginning um, with your first company, Mappian, right? And, and how you got there. Um, where did the inspiration come to, to first off, you know, start a, a company of your own and secondly, do it in the, in the home grounds of uh, the school that you graduated from? Yeah. So Mapping was actually like uh, my third company, uh, between the ages of 17 to 25, I started three companies, uh, while I was in university. And, uh, uh the reason why is, uh, after I was in school during the 2008 financial crisis, you know, I, I saw uh, a bunch of, a bunch of people who just got hired, uh, lose their jobs. And come back to school and hang out, you know, a year, two years after they graduated, because not, there was nothing they can do. Mm-hmm. They're applying for jobs, and I realized I'm like nothing is stable in the world. Nothing is a given, mm-hmm. right? And it's better to always stand on your own two feet and just, you know, you know, be rewarded for the problems you solve. That could be within a company, but that's going to also be outside of a company, creating your own solutions. Uh, and I, I just had to play my hand in that bucket, and it turns out. Uh, universities are the perfect playing ground for any beginning entrepreneur uh, because they have a lot of resources uh, towards aiding entrepreneurship. Um, so I actually, my undergrad, I, I stretched it for about seven years. And during those times, like I studied and did a lot of extracurriculars, but uh, at the same time, built companies. My third company um, was my tech first tech company. And uh, I, I really wanted to do a tech company. I, I, I wanted to get into tech. This is when like iPhones, iPhone 3 just came out and everything, like, you know, uh, I, I saw, every, you know, the hype was there, yeah, you know, yeah, and then 2013, like that was like the app market. Yeah. There's so many apps coming out. Yeah. And uh, crazily enough, like I found support at the university. Uh, UTSC started uh, that same year, its first business incubator. Mm-hmm. Uh, UFD has a 13. That was its 13th. Right, it was only one outside of downtown Toronto that a university had an incubator, and it's the only one in Scarborough. And it turns out I was its first person who came knocking that door because I was looking for resources. Wow! wow. And I was the first. I was the first member to come into that. So because of that, I got really close with the, the director who operates that. Uh, got a lot of support from the university and the entire campus. Uh, there was a time where like they were promoting me as like the 
face of UFT entrepreneurship and sent me out to a bunch of conferences under UFT's name. Wow. Gave me a lot of free publicity and press and that allowed nice. me to like get access to talent. I, I hired interns, co-op students. Mm-hmm. Like I had to, you know, grade co-op students who work for my company. Right. Wow. You know, and being able to get that kind of like uh, exposure and uh, work done for you and all that free stuff. I mean, you know, universities are more than just education centers. Now, especially, they're looking to co-invest into budding entrepreneurs. That's a wild thought too because you're, you're saying right now that, you know, like universities are a great place for an entrepreneur because they provide these resources. But I think there's a, there's a, there's a consensus right now at least that like people who are going to entrepreneurship are like trying to tend to shy away from yeah, shy away. Uh, yeah. education yeah. and post-secondary. At least that's what TikTok's telling right, you. At least what TikTok's telling you. Yeah, yeah, for sure, right? So you're giving us a little different take, right? I think it might be a hot take. Uh, so so what, what do you mean by those resources? And like, how do you feel about this new era of like, you know, you don't need post-secondary, you don't need education to be an entrepreneur? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so let's talk about the business of education, right? Of higher education. It's one of the biggest, most lucrative, highest margin uh, products in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the value, but the, the problem is the value of a degree, right? From a, you a prestigious university has gone down over the past 40 years, right? Before you can spend like $5,000 on subsidized education, go get a degree and that'll give you, make you earn a million to $3 million more in your lifetime than a person with a high school degree, right? Now that ROI has changed, uh, you know, it's price has significantly gone up and you don't, are not as differentiated. Right, so the value of that product has gone down, but universities they have huge uh, pools of resource. So nowadays, like you're not just paying tuition, you're paying a, a membership to a very highly exclusive club. Mm-hmm. Right, the average student card buys you access to about two hundred million dollars worth of resources. Mm-hmm. Right, like UFT, uh, for instance, you're paying what average average UFT students pay about five thousand dollars a semester. I think it might have gone up to seven uh, after since I graduated. <laughs> but uh, with that membership fee, you get access to the to the fifth most powerful supercomputer in the Eastern Seaboard, right? You have access to a radio a radio club, a radio center you can use to actually produce radio content if you want to. Mm. You have you have access to uh, uh, you know one of the most uh, highly funded libraries, private libraries, not just with materials but support staff to help you not just uh, find books but knowledge, right? Uh, you know, for you know, very reported uh, articles, like you have access to thousands of dollars worth of like resources just through that to research, right? But on top of that, um, higher ed, especially at high, big academic centers, have always been tied to uh, as a piece of open innovation, right? The research that's made in universities go out and become commercialized, right? Um, so innovation itself went from a closed environment where everyone used to hide their secrets and, 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 and like coded journals and stuff like that to what's now called open innovation. Open innovation literally came out of the UC uh, uh, University of Berkeley, right, out of California. And the idea was that large uh, academic centers, big companies, governments, all these different, different, uh, you know, large entities would share resources in helping uh, people grow ideas and everyone will benefit from it. Universities get benefit because the research that comes out of them, um, you know, gets turned into companies that give them credibility and get funding from like the, the, those companies will come back and like, you know, buy a wing at their division and things like that. Right. Yeah. So there was a secondary market for innovation that was always been developing over the past 40 years, parallel to the tuition fueled uh, marketplace. Right. And as that value has gone down, more and more universities are seeing the secondary market of, hey, this is, uh, you know, things people invent in the university turning into companies, this isn't actually productivizable. Like we can, we can have a play here. And, uh, you know, um, universities, especially in Toronto, you know, 
York University has about four business incubators. Yeah. They opened up its fifth during COVID. UFT has 13. I think they opened up their fourth, uh, 14th, right? Um, Ryerson has uh, four incubators. And uh, DMZ, one of their incubators, is one of the most well-known in, in North America, mm-hmm. right? So universities have invested a lot of uh, infrastructure in, in supporting businesses, and they're seeing as like a co-investment, right? Just like they would fund, a, a, you know, research uh, of a researcher, and that research will get them like uh, the uh, recognition so they can say like, hey, look, look at all the research coming out of this university. Look at us. You want to come here? And that's what gives them the reason to put up a paywall and charge X, X multiple on what they have, right? That is the same thing they're now doing with innovation. Look at the companies being born here, mm-hmm. right? So... I don't think so. Looking at universities now, not just as a place of learning, but a, a place of experiential learning, right? Of doing things and learning through doing things. It, universities are becoming more of a playground for ideas. So I think every single person should go to university. I just don't think the cost is justified. But if you're able to stomach it and if you're able to do it, especially at that at that critical age, you should definitely go to university. But look at it at a place to test ideas. Sure, but like it also sounds like you had to go in with that mindset or know what you're talking about, right? Like I feel most people, like let's say 9.5 out of 10 people are probably going to university specifically for that degree with the mindset of, you know, hopefully I get this uh, mm-hmm. job Specific that's going to help me, oh, you know, yeah. survive. But what you're saying is now this whole different concept that is one is new and two that I don't think majority the majority know exists, right? So now I guess it's about how do you put that out there to n- make sure that these people know about these resources and effectively go after them and utilize them, right? But would you yes. say, Robbie, would you say that these, uh, I guess these resources and things that are available at universities are specific to business and entrepreneurial students uh, compared to like, let's say, arts programs or science programs? Or are you saying in general, even these science programs have a whole vast number of resources that are not being utilized by the people attending these universities? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so one in, 10%, one in 10 people in the population are naturally entrepreneurial. Majority of people aren't. So am I saying everyone should start their own company, should test new ideas? No, just like not everyone becomes like a researcher, right? Um, startups are basically tiny laboratories for testing ideas. That's what a startup is. And the more resources you get, the easier it becomes, right? Because it's such a resource-hungry uh, hungry, uh, business. So universities co-invest in that. Just like they would co-invest in a researcher testing out ideas, they want to invest in people testing out, uh, you know, commercialized uh, ideas, Right. So, for does does everybody need to go there? No, it's like you know, like a, like a gym membership, right? Maybe like one in ten people actually go every day and like they get fit. Exactly. Nine in ten of them just you know have pay for the occasional experience or to say they have a gym membership, right. and it's like an arbitrage, right? The, univer- the, the 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 club gets to you know use that entire population to give a whole bunch of premium services that only ten percent really utilize. Right. Same thing here at university. Only about ten percent of the population, if anything, actually, uh, you know, actually participates outside of academics, and they're the ones who see the big benefits. Right? There are tons of millionaires made in university mm-hmm. because the university helps you commercialize ideas that you have or research you have. Right? And it doesn't matter which industry you are. Like Ryerson has three incubators for fashion, fashion technologies. Right? Um, like there was another. There was a recent uh, recent uh, uh, company that came out that was an art student who, you know, who used art to like uh, do one of the hardest things, which is describe like microbiology, 
Mm-hmm. And they partnered with a com- like a computer graphic designer, and they took her their art skills and the graphic design skills and turned into a digital uh, system that you know you can have a more active layout of how uh, biology works. And wow. you know they built that in university, and then that became a commercialized product, right. commercial product, right? They can go out and sell to. They can sell to universities. They can sell that to uh, academic centers. They can sell that to uh, you know researchers or even like publishers of books, right? Absolutely. And, Right, so the universe. So one of the key things that universities do is like they don't take IP, like they don't necessarily take IP and what you create unless you make uh, significant usage of their resources. Um, so a, a business incubator is not a significant use of the resources, but if you use like a supercomputer to do some like you know crazy data mining, right. or you know like a two million dollar supercomputer, or if you use like a microbiology lab to create. Um, you know, to synthesize a type of bacteria that eats plastic and, uh, you know, uh, out comes like a particular type of oil that can be used in manufacturing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you research that in a university. Well, the university can take a piece in that if they really want to, but there is no active play in that. Universities just want to, you know, give you all these resources and mentorship and support and bring in uh, people so that they can say, hey, look, this came out of the, our, our university, come here. Right. So that one in, you know, that one in 10 people will participate in the infrastructure of innovation, but the remaining will go through other programs for other reasons. I think you raised a pretty valid point there about, um, you know, cross, uh, cross intersecting like various siloed different departments in a university or in an institution, right? For the, lo- for the most part, mm-hmm. like the science department is a science department, the arts department is the arts department, you know, the um, mathematics might be the mathematics, but uh, having an open platform or an open innovation hub um, or an incubator of some form to be able to have people communicate and, and share ideas allows for different types of innovation that may have not even been intended to uh, to you know occur and when they first had the conversation but b- just by simply sharing the ideas and having an environment for people to share ideas and, and have the conversation uh, allows for innovation to happen naturally so I think it's it's quite important so um, it, kudos to you for for being one of the first to doing it at UTSC that's definitely big steps uh, especially in our home breeding grounds of Scarborough of course as well so you want to talk to us a little bit about you know your first experiences here at uh, the hub at UTSC uh, and how you came up with y- your company of your own yeah, I mean, uh, really simply, uh, Mapian was a social network built on top of a map. So imagine like Twitter slash Instagram, but on top of a map. So you can move the map around and see what's happening around you. Uh, my frustration was like, you know, you can post something on fi- Facebook or Twitter and people you know or follow you will see it. But like that, what you want to spread is about information about what's happening right now around you. Right. That people who are not connected to you necessarily, but because they're in that, that circle, that area, it's relevant to them, right? Say, you know, uh, so, um, you know, whatever whatever that news might be, might be a small, like, thing that you want to publicize or a mm-hmm. thing that something messed up that really happened, right? Particularly that location. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so what I did, what we did was we built it on top of Google Maps, a social network where if you post something, you can post it. But what we did different was that during 2013, we work with Google Maps internal team. You know, you know, like now you can see with inside buildings, inside malls, floor by floor, right? Yeah. Right, right. right? Right when that was new, we made a deal with uh, Google to bring that technology to Canada. So we mapped out UFT, uh, Ryerson, York University with the Google Maps team, with their support, uh, inside, layer by layer, with the, working with the university. So UFT gave me all, you know, opened up their floor plans, gave wow. me their floor plans, and we mapped it out. So now on our social network, people can post room by room, floor by floor, building by building, what's happening. 
So a social event, you know, something happened in, in, on, a, on campus, um, you know, funny thing happened in a lecture hall, whatever happened, right? They can post it in, you know, each room. So the the lack of FOMO, think about it, right? University has yeah, so many yeah, things. Yeah, for sure. On average campus. So many stuff, things about, going on, you know, constantly. Yeah, average campus, like uh, UTSC alone is the smallest campus of 14,000 people. Right, uh, a bigger campus like UFD downtown is fifty thousand, fifty three thousand students. Yeah, exactly. There's always something going on, right? Uh, and geared towards uh, a, a type of experience. So this is a way to capture all that. Um, so yeah, we like you know using the university's uh, help. Like I knew nothing of tech. I didn't know of any code, none of that. But able to find support, uh, find people to work with, and we slowly built this thing. Uh, I was able to pitch uh, a billionaire, got him to give me thirty thousand dollars. Uh, went on a few pitch competitions, got some resources, and got this thing made. Right, nice. and um, one of the saddest things was like, like as, as much as good things go good, there's always some some kicker that happens. Ninety okay. percent of startups fail, and mm-hmm. it's not most of the time. It's not because it's a bad idea, right? That uh, social media on a map idea, Snapchat took that and made that heat map. That thing, right? Like yeah, that yeah. launched in like 2016. Right. Just as I shut my company down, and I had to shut it down because my lead developers decided right at the height. You now we were about to raise 1.1 million dollars. We're talking to investors. Like Google was calling us every two weeks for updates, giving us the newest uh, updates, pushing it to us. Right. They were they were working strongly with us. Uh, universities are working strongly with us. Yeah. We had access to all the clubs. Like the marketing sales was ready to go, yeah. but the tech team collapsed. Right? They decided they want to do something else, and they left. Oh, right, and okay. this whole thing just collapsed. Right? And I had to shut the company down. It went from like a peak to like nothing right. in, in a piece of like three months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, obviously, I, I was devastated. Just three years of my life. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't. You know, like all of my time went into this, especially my mid twenties. When everyone else was making money and going on trips and like getting married, I was like in a university back room, right. twelve hours a day, trying to get make this thing happen, learning what I needed to know, right? Right. right. And 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 the craziest thing is like you know you like failure, you know you think what failure, and you're told it's like a closed door, but you never talk think about like you failing forward, right? Yeah. Because UFD all throughout this is mapping my journey. Help you know the press team was helping me uh, making stories of me. Like you type in. Ravi Ravindra in UTSC, there's a bunch of articles all hosted at UTS, UFT, those like free promotion material that they gave, mm-hmm. right? They turned around and they said, you know, Ravi, like, you know, you create three companies, uh, in, uh, you know, in, 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 during your time in your university. Mm-hmm. We know you're going to keep doing this. You have a wealth of experience and uh, behind you. Um, why don't you come in and teach, right? And this is crazy. Like, I, I failed at my one of my biggest, uh, you know, biggest uh, risk I ever taken. Mm-hmm. And the result of that failure ended up with one of my biggest opportunities right. to yeah. teach at UFT uh, as, an, as an entrepreneur in residence, right? That's what they gave it. So yeah. being an entrepreneur in residence, I get access to the full facilities, all the amenities that UFT has yeah, for yeah. innovation, the, uh, you know, access to all their projects and programs and the students going through them. Um, all I had to do is teach, right? Yeah. A few hours a month. And it's like you make use of our facilities and see what see what else you want to work on. Was it Loki wow. like what you were after, anyways? Yeah, you know? and yeah. it kind of came back. I never thought it'll, it'll happen, right? Because yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, you know, as I was like the like the first person in incub in that in, in that incubator, the, the hub at yeah. UTSC, right? The hub programming developed along with it, and uh, you know, I I helped you know bring traction to it. You know, I brought like uh, Radhika, the MP. Mm-hmm. Uh, when she was when she first be MP, brought you know as, as that was her area, 
yeah, broader yeah, to the right. campus and show her what's going on. And right. she, you know, she helped bring her attention. Like I, I helped get press attention, right? So, like I genuinely love that place. That was like home to me. You know, yeah, I can tell like the, the <laughs> uh, work was, didn't go unnoticed either, right? Of course, because uh, through all the work that you did, and um, of course the rise and fall of, of mapping, whatever it may have been, um, you know, the lessons were learned. You know, and you being the first in the in the incubator and um, being the spearhead for it, the, obviously the they recognized the lessons were learned as well. So who better to really teach? Um, you know, the next people coming through to mm. use uh, the disruptors than the first person who did it themselves, right? Sucks. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like you said right there, like a den, right? Like that's what these hu- like the, the hub felt like. You know, it's like a it's like a place where you meet, you, you go to, and you meet like minded people, right? And they're all working on hard things together. Yeah. Like a science lab, or like you know, like a, a, a like a co working space, or like you know, you're a place a place where things are always happening. Right, just being around that, uh, it's 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 uh, intoxicating. Yeah. What would you say w- would have been, um, you know, the the biggest challenge uh, going through that entire experience of your, uh, you know, your first tech startup, um, and, and and like a, an app apes business? What would you say would would have been your biggest challenge uh, in tackling? Yeah, like I loved all pop, all the pieces of it. I just never got to enjoy it because, you know, during that time, um, you know, this is especially when like startups weren't that 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 cool. Like no one, was, not much people are talking about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like. It was also in the middle of your twenties, right? The most productive times of uh, you know where you're supposed to be doing crazy things. So, yeah. like the whole time, I w- it's always the biggest question is like, am I wasting my time here? Because mm. everyone is telling me I am, right? So I never got to enjoy it. I, like if I, I were to go back, I would tell myself to breathe and just enjoy the process, right? Right? Because like there were so many things that uh, I didn't necessarily mess up on or missed out on just because of the, the anxiety or the stress. Yeah. Like, am I doing enough? What am I doing? Am I moving fast enough? Yeah. Right. You're so worried about moving that you're forgetting, but you're not necessarily wor- uh, looking at where you're going. Right. And that was, uh, that was one of the hurdles. Right. So uh, I think one of the cool things now living through this period where like suddenly entrepreneurship is cool. Right. Like everyone, everyone needs to be an entrepreneur. Everyone yeah, needs yeah. a side hustle. It's, it's right? a sexy so, thing right now. Yeah. 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 Right. So now it's like, if you're doing something, you're no longer looked as crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. I feel like at the, in this climate, it's the best time to start because, like, because everyone else is doing it. You know, no one's breathing down your neck to being like, "What are you wasting your time on?" Exactly. Yeah. Right? yeah. And to, to that point as well, I mean, um, your next venture that we're going to speak on, uh, Blue Max, is really a double-edged sword in that sense. Uh, I mean, you spoke about community building and reaching out to um, both, you know, new students that are coming in UTSC as well as um, you know billionaires and and also the founders of the spaces that you were connected to. So of course you have your podcast side of Bluemax, but then you also have the tech aspect of it as well, right? And the business of, of it, Bluemax as well. So um, let's talk about that, and let's talk about how you you diverge from from Mapian and uh, the lessons you learned as a, as a teacher at UFT to uh, now starting up another tech venture of your own as well as a podcast of your own. Yeah. So uh, my current venture, Bluemax, you know, we're a experiential media company. So. Most, mostly uh, basically means podcasting, but experiential media is media that you not just uh, consume, but you're creating, you're, you're, you're co- uh, co-producing, right? You're, experience, uh, you're experiencing it while, while uh, doing it. And uh, the reason it's so powerful is that, you know, the internet has given us two forms of leverage, right? In the old days, if you wanted to do something crazy, uh, you know, you needed leverage, you needed something to move the world, right? And the two forms was capital and uh, labor, Right. Mm-hmm. Capital means uh, money. Uh, labor means getting people to work for you. And mm-hmm. both of them need permission. Someone has to give it to you. But the Internet, because of the infrastructure that's given to you, you get you get two new forms of leverage, code and media. 
right? Both are which are free. If you can learn to code, you can add to the internet and the, and the, and the potential possibilities of this metaverse you're creating. And by adding to it, you can you're gonna get value, right? The second is media, right? It's completely free. Like pointing a camera to you, recording a bunch of content and putting something there, there's no cost. Both things don't require permission, mm-hmm. right? And so what I wanted to do is blend both that together, right? So use code to help uh, help promote media in a more purposeful way and uh, gear that towards innovation. So looking back at what I, what I did and uh, what, I, what I learned going through UFT is that you know, through my two and a half years at UTSD teaching, I, I got to see about 133 uh, companies uh, develop and go through its programming. Wow. And so many of them, like, you know, a lot of them, like, you know, a handful of them went out and raised $5 million, $20 million. Like, they're still uh, around kicking eight years later, you know, six years later, four years later. But a lot of them failed out. And it wasn't because, again, bad ideas or bad execution. There was, you know, most of the time they failed because the people who are generating the ideas are not necessarily good at uh, communicating them, mm-hmm. of winning people over, of selling the idea. Right, not just uh, you know getting sales, but also getting winning people over that their solution is winning. So, I, I wanted to figure out a way to uh, help promote them. So, um, our company started as a podcast at UFT while I was teaching there. Right. So we literally created like a po- like a, a, a portable podcast set. You know, three 4K cameras, uh, like you know, a great audio tech, an audio a designated audio engineer, and and videographer. Right. And the whole set was movable to go from um, um, incubator to incubator in all the universities and just film all the people that work there. Mm-hmm. And the idea was to just create free, high-quality promotional material for each uh, startup, right? That they can use to be like, yo, this is my story, right? Because one of the main things is that unless you go out and, like, you know, raise $3 million, you know, CNN's not going to write about you. You know, MSNBC's not going to write about you. You know, TV24 is not going to cover you. Like, how do you get people to find out about you, mm. right? You're always out there, you know, currently pushing. Right. Who's help? Who's, who's gonna, who, you know, media is, is not there. So mm. uh, the, the podcast became a way to give free media to these companies. And right from the beginning, like from episode number seven, came back to us and said, episode number eight, Michael Cronin, he came back to us and said, like, yo, because of your video, I landed a million dollar client wow. because wow. of the go. podcast. There you go. Right? Because he was out there, he was a 24 year old, uh, a 24 year old guy, Michelle Romanoff, uh, you know, from Dragons Den. Yep. When her first company that made her, made her who she is, he was 19, living on her couch, working for her uh, as an intern for free, <laughs> and slowly became her COO. And when, when, he got, when he got bought out by Groupon, he went and became like a senior manager at Groupon at 19. Wow. Right? Worked there for four years, led teams, left, and started, started, a, you know, started his own agency. And he came on the show and talked about how he grew up poor in Alabama, in the south side of Chicago, came to Queen's University in Canada to try to make it, and within the first year dropped out. Right. And that story, you know, a client that he was prospecting, you know, searched him up uh, on, on the internet, found our video of him, listened to it, you know, saw the human behind it, and decided, yo, we were gonna, we need an agency anyways. Here's a million dollars a year, fifty thousand dollars a month wow. contract to run our run our uh, ad spend. <laughs> And uh, that just blew our minds, right? Because mm-hmm. you know how many people watch that episode? 40 people. Yeah. That's There's like, only 40 views yeah. Yeah. on that episode. And, you know, and that's when it, it clicked to us that, like, you know, having media on the internet 
it doesn't it's not about like millions of people watching it but the right person watching exactly. it yeah, right for sure if the, you know there's so many people out there like you know finding your tribe they say if you can find 10,000 people that are into something very into what you're into like that unique thing that you're into that you can find and build a tribe around that mm-hmm. you're set right like that's what you need right now if not millions of followers just like 100 1000 right right 10000 and you can build off of that right so so the idea was that okay how can we produce more of this at a higher level so the goal we set was like we don't want to just create a few podcasts we want to create 100 right um so we were we worked backwards and we tried to create 100 episodes being 100 uh, companies you get to cover and create like a catalog uh, for them right and we went out and did that until covid hit right covid hit we you know um we could no longer film in person we lost all our sponsorship our equipment is all useless mm-hmm. and uh it, you know we we know it took us about half a year to try to figure out how to film virtually mm-hmm. how to figure that process out right. but because we had already momentum beforehand and we had all these uh, support structures we we still had access to valuable guests who were patient with us right. who grew with us and throughout the, you know last year to this year we became uh you know we we surpassed our 100 go, uh, 100 mark but more importantly we made partnerships with 46 business incubators all across canada wow. right um through them you know we have access to about 2400 startups and the idea now is like okay our new goal is because virtually we can create a lot of content how can we create 50000 pieces of content all around early stage ideas right so um innovators being founders of startups but also researchers or entrepreneurs people working within organizations trying to make them more efficient right right so um that's our new OKR like our uh, performance objective right like how can we provide this kind of value to the innovation community right so service them and turns out turns out like a lot of people actually want to know and meet founders right just like that uh, that founder in the beginning um who who got a client reached out to him we have had so many stories of people who you know a uh, uh, guest came back to us and said hey you know uh, I, I hired employee number 1 and 2 because they see my episodes believed what i believed and was willing to take a pay cut to come and work for me wow you know um a vc you know i was able to see this uh, episode and you know again gave me a, give a human angle to why i'm doing what i'm doing and it was one of the reasons why they invested right all these small stories again like you know we've created about 153 episodes 15,000 hours watched but in that millions of dollars worth of value has been created right mm. so now say like, okay how can we create 50,000 of this right how can we create all this around this and service early stage companies help them out yeah 100% i think what you talked about in terms of you know people wanting to hear from founders is key right like uh, especially going back to Matt's point about uh, everyone trying to be an innovator today or everyone trying to be an entrepreneur today um, I think, you know, finding sources of uh, ins- whether it's inspiration uh, or information, like um, there's no lack there of it o- online. And, um, you know, if you if you really know what you're looking for, you really know what you want to do uh, to be able to find that curated content sometimes uh, is difficult online. But um, being able to hear, you know, directly from the founders, their own stories, uh, where they started, what their source of inspiration were, I think is is, uh, you know, more than valuable or, you know, for for any person who's tr- trying to start a company for their own right now or. Uh, even looking to start their own company or own business of any sort. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what would you say that right. your take is on that? So you were obviously one of these earlier uh, entrepreneurs when it comes to startups. And obviously now it's more of a uh, common, uh, I guess, terminology that you can hear across many young people here in Canada. Would you say that 
this has negatively affected you in your kind of ideas and or has it been positive for you? What's your experience with all basically a lot of people now being involved in these startup businesses? It's amazing, right? Because we're in the business of cataloging in, uh, innovation and making it searchable. Um, now, all we do is like throw a rock on LinkedIn and, you know, we had like 10 startups. Yeah. It's super easy to connect with them, right? So the biggest problem we have is filtering uh, and figuring out who are the best ones. Like, who do we talk to? Because not all ideas are equal. Not all people building things are equal. Of course. Right? Um, you know, there are there is a certain level of metrics you need to figure out uh, on figuring out how to evaluate companies. And that's one of the biggest, biggest problems in innovation, right? Whether you want to hand out money, you want to give out government grants, or you want to uh, develop programs for founders, trying to figure out what ideas are good and how to invest in them, especially when they have nothing, when they have no revenue, very new product, you know, super early stage. The earlier you go into an ideation, the harder it is to give uh, give uh, resources for, right? So we're hoping that in the process of like, you know, chasing the chasing the rabbit hole of like getting to get into founders earlier in the chain, but trying to figure out a way to find better and better ideas that we can help uh, find this problem out. And that's actually very valuable, right, to our partners. So you know, the way we operate is that literally we have uh, enterprises, multinational companies who are looking for entrepreneurs, who are looking for startups. They pay us to, uh, to scout for them, right? Just like you, it's like a talent scout that uh, goes to a baseball game and looks for like, uh, you know, uh, the next athlete. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, we're kind of doing the same. And yeah. honestly, I love it, right? Yeah. This is like my favorite thing ever. Because I like, yeah. Uh, one of the biggest markets in the world is uh, the uh, mergers and acquisitions, right? Um, uh, industrial partnerships. It's a 288 billion, with a B, annual industry. To put that in perspective, Google's um, Google's uh, annual revenue is 155 billion, right? This is a, this is a this is an in- industry that happens outside of any one company that's bigger than Google. And that is just the, the the acquisition part of the bigger companies buying out smaller companies, mm-hmm. and you know about nine and ten of companies that make it get bought out. The huge, you know, uh, the the beginning level jumping the sh- the shark is surviving, right? As a company, that this value of death where your product is, doesn't is not really as valuable, where your service is not as valuable as the rest of the things in the market. So no one's buying it, right? If you can survive and get to a point where you're profitable. And moving forward, the next step is do you get acquired by a bigger fish, right? Bought out, um, or do you become you know, venture raised, venture backed, and uh, ex- ex- explode, right? And the, the we see the, the companies that get like the sixty million dollars, the three hundred million dollars, the big raises, they always get the news. But quietly behind the scenes, it's a huge acquisition market of people getting bought out. Mm-hmm. And there's tons of people, you know, tons of millionaires who are created every day. You know, from an app that you bought up for $3 million, $500,000, $20 million, right? There are teams of people, five people, spend three years, just build something out and then get acquired for like $3.5 million, $7.5 million, right? And those kind of stories happen all the time. And it's actually more accessible than the, the VC-backed, you know, raising money kind of, uh, kind of thing. Because large companies don't really care as much as VCs uh, when it comes to, uh, you know, who you are and, and, and your background. They're actually way more equitable, right? They, they're just chasing a high, like, you know, how, what's your company, how well you're performing, how fast you're growing. Like, they want to they wanna acquire your growth to so add that to your, their balance sheet, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it's a secondary market that uh, innov- innovators can use um, to finance themselves, right? So it's like, instead of trying to build like, a company out on IPO in 10 years, 
you could spend three years, you know, working on something you uh, something you love, building it out with a bunch of friends, flip it in five years, just like you would build a property and flip it, right? right? And then go chill out, and then go do it again, exactly. and then go do it again, yeah, right? Like there's so many serial entrepreneurs that are doing these micro plays now, right? That go out and see an opportunity. Okay, let's build this out. Mm-hmm. And I think this is like a future. Uh, this is this is like going to be a, the more of the future of work, where more people are innovating, right? Not necessarily building. Massive companies, but just creating parts of it, right? right. So, in this uh, innovation market, there are four different segments where you can play in, right? The research segment, where you can be a researcher working at the institution or a think tank, like work, you know, at the very beginning of an idea of how things could work or become, right? The second part is early stage. This is the hardest part, where you know you become a founder, you take an idea either out of a research program and you turn it into a commercial product and you start, you know, commercializing it, right? But the third stage, right, and the second stage you kind of merge is when you you go from like an idea into an actual uh, you hit product market fit and you have to scale it, right. This is a completely different skill set than ideation, and this is where most founders mess up on is that the skills needed to develop an idea and turn it into a product or a service or a process, right, is different from scaling it after product market fit and getting it to a particular user and getting the revenue you need right. to actually build a business, right? So those two skill sets are different. And yeah. you need no, people right. in, in, I think you know, in those kind of... One idea that you might have that you think might apply to you and like your circle or uh, one particular you know group of people may not yeah. be applicable to... Uh, the mass, the mass audience, right? So, how do you really scale that? And I think that's that's key that you said that as well, right? Because um, you know, of course, it would be great to work on a project with your friends or your your circle, and then grow that and flip it and go on to the next idea. But I think that in in its own is is a tough part, right? Because exactly. that being said, like you know, the in today's day and age, ideas coming out left, right, and center, new company companies coming out left, right, and center. How do you really differentiate, right? Like, how do you stay on the ball to find new ideas and to continue innovating uh, and not really, you know, being redundant in any way. Um, Because, of course, you know, again, to your point, there's no shortage of innovation happening across the globe right now. Mm -hmm. So as, as a serial entrepreneur yourself, how do you really differentiate? Where do you find inspiration for new ideas to keep keep that ball rolling? And, you know, like is the next idea constantly brewing while you're working on the first one? Or is that a thought process that occurs after, you know, the first idea has been uh, rolled out. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's uh, that's actually a great question because I have like ten ideas that <laughs> I love to be working on right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. And the, one of the biggest pro- biggest uh, points of maturity is to figure out what to put aside and and, and be like, this is what we're focusing on right now. Yeah, that takes a lot. Um, you know, yeah, it takes a lot to do. It's a biggest skill, yeah. right? I think it's a skill you have to develop. Yeah, because sure. it's super easy to wake up in the morning and be like, yo, I have this billion dollar idea yeah, right yeah, yeah. not even a million dollar idea but a billion dollar idea i gotta work on this yeah, yeah. but to put the put you know to have the focus to put that aside and be like cool you know we can you know we need to get to a certain point to build on that and that could be let me focus on one thing that i can i can do now mm-hmm. that can get me to the point where i can work on that later mm-hmm. and i think one of the main things is like one of the main problems is that a lot of people are so fixated on short-term thinking you know they're thinking about this week this month, yeah, right. Um, you know, one of the ways I've solved this is to start thinking about in ten years, fifty year terms, what I want to do, mm-hmm. right? Because one of the things I realized hitting my thirties and like having failed at three companies, right? Like each time in my twenties, I was like, "Holy shit, I'm going to be a dropout billionaire," <laughs> right? Because my companies are doing great yeah. until it didn't, right? 
uh, that iterative process of, of, of failing, we, we realize that, oh man, like the whole point is to stay in the game. Yeah. I can't, no, I can't hit into financial ruin. I can't let my family down. Right. I, like the whole point is like, I got to stay into it. And if you look at like one of the main things, if you, if you study billionaires, right? There's about, um, I think the last count was about 1,200 or 1,300 billionaires in North America. And uh, about 92% of them are all first generation wealth, right? They made their money in their lifetime. They didn't inherit it. They, they, they mm-hmm. work for it. Mm-hmm. And then all, almost all of them uh, made all their money in the 50s. Like they hit billionaire status, like most of the majority of the money they hit in their 50s. Right. Why? Because it took them much time to fail and learn and figure out what not to do. Mm. Right, it's actually a period of a bunch of failures that got them to, uh, to where they are. The point they had that knowledge base and they acquired the skill sets and everything they acquired to do the actual yeah. play. Right, this guy might not be and, a billionaire, but the founder of KFC didn't get his uh, his millions till he was like, yeah. I think he's like in the sixties or something until he founded the company. Yeah, yeah. not a great example, but you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I mean, they, I, I, I mean, I think it takes. Um, Definitely a lifetime worth of failures to really find yourself and uh, to see where you know uh, where your skill sets really lie and where you can excel at. So um, I, I see yeah. nothing but truth in that for sure. Yep, hundred percent. Like I like I think like the like mastery lies in figure out what are you going to spend your life failing at. Right, you know, yeah, yeah. like yeah, yeah. what are the skills you're going to start developing at? And you can't. There's no way you can learn and uh, do that unless you have a long view of what you want to be accomplishing oh, that's, you know right. down the line right that's the key that's a key element to everything i think that's that's everyone always has a short term trajectory right like people want to invest today and they want to get that return tomorrow, tomorrow like yeah. literally 24 hours i think know? that all but, comes along with like social media and stuff you yeah. get like likes instant gratification yeah, yeah. That's, like people are just so used to like instant it's human stuff. nature you know yeah so like it, there's like there's like this meme that I, I always like to reference a lot it's, it's like a picture of an iceberg yeah and then everyone sees the top of the iceberg and yeah. top of the iceberg is success and money and like power everything right right and the bottom below the ocean where the rest of the iceberg is is a like massive chunk of ice like triple the size of the what's up what's yeah, sticking yeah. out of the water and like that's where like failures and pain and loss and everything mm-hmm. is right mm-hmm. and like what do, what do I, what does everyone see because we're above the surface we see the top of the iceberg right, right? right exactly so, I mean, it comes with the game, especially if you're going to go down the entrepreneurial journey, right? You 100%. need to fail. And as a as an entrepreneur yourself, Ravi, what would you say, you know, to, to anyone listening right now? Um, and uh, obviously some of the, the younger listeners who uh, are looking to start their own companies or looking to become innovators or entrepreneurs of their own. What would you say are some skill sets that they need to have uh, to be successful in this game? Uh, two things. Uh, your reality determines your focus. Um, so what you focus on becomes what, what, what you are. Um, and part of that is, you know, what do you spend your time in, right? What are the content you're consuming? Who are you hanging out with? What does the majority of your downtime go into? Mm-hmm. Uh, what are you learning, right? Like all that stuff, right? So if you uh, like have this ambition in your heart, of like, oh, I want to do this or I want to accomplish that. Well, what, how many hours is dedicated towards that? And, and what are the associations you have supporting you towards that? Uh, one of the hardest things to do is, let go of toxic people around you and find positive mentors, supporters, uh, or just people with the same like minds. Yeah. And one of the best ways to do that is go to a place, right? To the best experience is either going to a high performance school or joining a high performance company early on and just being around high performance people, uh, right? So focus determines reality. Second is that you have, like, this is the first generation, Gen Z and onwards. Right, that have live in a completely permissionless society, meaning you don't have to ask for permission to get anything anymore. Right? Uh, if you were if you were a kid asking questions back in the day, like 
to too much, you're gonna slap in the back of the head. Now you can go to Alexa and ask why the sky is blue and get yeah. a, the perfect answer. True. Not just a, a answer, the perfect answer. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so maintaining that mentality, you don't have to ask permission from people to get knowledge or to learn something mm-hmm. or to figure things out or even try something. Yeah. If you have access to the internet. You know, if you can, you know, for working for, you know, two, uh, two days, three days of a part-time job a month and getting, uh, you know, paying for a phone bill and getting a cell phone, you have access to 2.4 billion people in the world, all interconnected by technology, mm-hmm. right? You just need to find a small tribe of others like you digitally that are, that are interested in the same kind of problems, same kind of things with you. Yeah. And, you know, boom, you, have, you got something, right? You have a movement there. Um, you know, so you can build uh, digitally without waiting for people to give you anything. That's fact. That's actually that's a fact. That's crazy. That's a crazy fact, actually. I never took that in, but yeah. it's actually yeah. the truth, you know? Absolutely wild, man. So if we're going to talk about out of ignorance here on that point, you know, like if you're someone who's looking to find a tribe of your own, right, and and things that you like and things that you do, where would you begin? Where where do you start looking? Uh, I don't think you start looking. Um, I, I, like for me, um, I like I would attract, right, by putting things out there. Um, one of the best ways... Uh, to find you, your people is about putting out there what you truly believe in or what you're going through, mm-hmm. right? If you have nothing to deliver, you can at least talk about your pain. Everyone has something, right? But um, one of the greatest things is just creating content for me, right? I only started like two years ago. Right. I've never even like, even to this day, I, I barely even put like a, a you know a phone to myself and record a, like a like a video selfie mm-hmm. like, and talk to Instagram, talk to my phone. That's weird for me, right? right? But like, I, I, you know, because of a podcast, we have a, a structure and all this, creating content has allowed me to find other people who think like me. Right. Right. So I think everyone should be a content producer, especially if you want to work on hard things. Um, start talking about it openly. Right. And putting stuff out there uh, and people will find you. Interesting. Man. Amazing. Man. Amazing. There's a lot of great points today from that conversation. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, that was Ravi Ravindran, the founder and CEO of Bloom X. Uh, catch his podcast, the Disruptors podcast. Ravi, can you tell us where we can find the podcast available? Uh, you can go to bloomex.io, uh, the website, or you can search in Bloomex Disruptors uh, onto YouTube. That's our uh, podcast. But if you go to the website, you can see uh, our our, um, our catalog of 20 different podcasts as well as our content library uh, where we host all our uh, content. There you go, man. Thanks, man. And for all the listeners right now who want to uh, maybe get in touch with you to talk business, innovation, technology, entrepreneurship, whatever it may be, how can they get a hold of you? LinkedIn. Uh, easiest way is to DM on LinkedIn. Um, again, if you're working on hard things, LinkedIn uh, is a great place to find uh, people who are professionally motivated. Yes. Um, that'll be the best place. Awesome. Amazing. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, that was Ravi Ravindran, and this has been the After Hour Show live on East FM 102.7. Once again, every Friday night, 9 to 11 p.m. We'll be back next week with another show for y'all. Until then, it's your boy, Prodigy. This is Cypher. It's your boy, Matt. And we out. Peace. Peace.